0: we got an easy pop quiz this morning. Who wrote the majority of the 150 songs? David, right? But many of you know, he was not the only one in Israel's worship book. There are several others, and today we have what's likely the oldest of them all. It was written by Moses. Now think about how amazing that is. Moses lived about 400 years before David, and the nation of Israel could sing worship songs from both of those guys, but that's probably not all that unusual. If you think about it, we do the same thing sometimes even today, right? You know, in one service, we might sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God by Martin Luther going back centuries, right? And then the very next song, might have been written by Chris Tomlin two months ago. So it's not entirely foreign to us, and I'm very thankful that this Psalm of Moses ended up in the Psalms. The, the theme of it, as I looked at it, I called it, when I need perspective. How many of you know that sometimes when we go through life, our perspective gets skewed? Often by the trials and difficulties we face, whether it's just the headlines we read, whether kids, it's the fact that you got to go back to school tomorrow. I feel you. Or maybe you're thinking about your workday tomorrow adults, and you're like, I don't want to go back into that. There's some stuff going on there that man, or maybe it's your home. Maybe in your marriage or with some of your kids, there's some tension going on. Maybe you've buried. Someone you love recently. Maybe you're going through a health issue yourself. All those things can skew our perspective. This psalm helps us get our perspective back. Before verse 1, it tells us, It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And I love where he starts, because when our perspective gets skewed, we need to start where Moses started. He starts by talking about the eternity of our God. Verses 1 and 2. He says, Lord, that that word Lord is Adonai, ruler and creator in charge of the universe. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That, That word God at the end there is El, the strong one, the mighty one want we'll to talk about the eternity of God for a minute it's something that ought to bring us great comfort as we go through the transitory situations we face because we all know life goes up and down you don't know how it's going to change the moment you step out of this service I don't either but God remains the same he's eternal Exodus 3 you remember when Moses talked to him at the burning bush he introduced himself as I am could also be translated, I will be what I will be. What does that mean? That God always was. You want to have some fun, try to talk to your kids about that. (laughs) There are questions that can't be answered. God always was. He always is. He always will be. And especially when we focus on the always was, God is unique in that department. He's the only being that could be said of. What, what does that mean about our God? It means he is dependent on no one. Okay? It also means that every being that has come from him is completely and utterly dependent on him. I love that Moses starts there, but I love that he tells us more about this eternal God. Some words that we could find great comfort in as his children... He speaks of his faithfulness. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now that may mean a lot to you this morning. Think of what it meant to Moses and those millions of Israelites. Because what were, were they doing for a large part of his ministry? They were wandering through a desert. And there's one chapter in the Bible that lists all their campsites. It's a long, long list. They were very transitory. And where they were staying but he says Lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations don't you love that wherever this life may lead me whatever trial I might find myself in I can dwell in the Lord Jesus in the New Testament says abide in me right Moses talks about this faithfulness of God elsewhere Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven. 27 some of you may have this memorized The eternal God is your dwelling place, and and underneath are the everlasting arms. I love that verse. Whatever I'm walking through today as a child of God, underneath are His everlasting arms. I think about the faithfulness of God, and I fast forward some centuries in Israel's history. As a nation, they were going through it. The book of Isaiah comes, in, and they're even starting to wonder, has God, like, checked out on us? Has he forgotten us? And maybe you feel like that sometimes. Maybe you're going through something like that. And you all know Isaiah 40, right, especially the end part. We often go there because part about flying like eagles. But the context of that whole chapter is very important. Why should we look to God to give us strength that we might fly like eagles? It's because of who he is. I, I'd encourage you to read that chapter in its entirety. Isaiah 40, he, he tells the nation of Israel a number of staggering things about himself. One, he, he tells them basically, I change princes and leaders of this world as I choose. I bring them up. I put them down. He says, I look on the the earth and the people are like grasshoppers in my eyes. And I think about the comfort in that. If you're God's child, these people that sometimes scare us to no end, they look like grasshoppers to him. So do we, right? And he's encouraging Israel. Yes, I am still the eternal, faithful, sovereign God. At the end of the chapter, verse 26, he says, lift up your eyes on high and see. He, He points them to the stars. He says, who who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. You think about the wonder of a God who has named every star, some of which we have not even discovered yet. And he's saying to Israel and to his children today, if I care for all those stars, these inanimate creations of mine, of course, I will care for you. My children. And that's why he says in verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. I haven't forgotten you. Verse 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Who needs that perspective of God this morning? I'm going to put a picture up here that I Googled this week, and you tell me what song lyrics I Googled to find that picture. He's got the whole world in his hands. Got an old school brother right there. Yep. <laughs> And I put it up because there was a song by a Christian rapper named YB called Fire Emoji. Now, I know rap isn't for everybody, okay? But I had a good talk with one of my sons. A lot of those rap songs have, have more theology in them than some contemporary Christian music does. Partially only because they get a lot more words in, in those three or four <laughs> minutes. <laughs> I'd encourage you to check some out. But the the lyric I loved in this song, song, it is a modern day song. Could you have a rap song? I don't know. (laughs) Probably today you could. Okay. What he said in there was, I don't worry about my chapters when I personally know the author. Who needs that promise today? Whatever chapter you're going through, I'm not going to worry I'm going to trust in my eternal, faithful God. That's where Moses starts here. And it's a good thing that he does because he's going to go into some deep, difficult waters here because he's going to shift from the eternity of our God to the brevity of our lives. Okay, verse 3. He says, You return man to dust. And say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight, or but as yesterday when it is past. Let's ponder that one statement. I'm not saying God means there's a literal one-for-one one e- equivalence here, but just think about a thousand years in the human perspective. Go back to 1022 A.D. and think of all of history that has happened in that period. A thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past. And you all know Saturdays go too fast, right? Or as a watch in the night. A watch in the night at that time was three, maybe four hours, depending on what scholar you talk to. Poof, over and done. Verse 5, he says, you sweep them away as with a, a flood. Moses sees God as sovereign not only over life, but also death. And he sees that, that our temporary lives here end up in a, a stream of death that, that ushers us into the ocean of eternity. He says, they're like a dream. Any of you have a dream that you remembered last night? It's okay to admit. It's okay to have a dream. Okay, there we go. Thank you, Brandon. They're fleeting, right? You you wake up and and it's gone. You're you're back to reality. So he says, our lives are like, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed in the evening it fades and withers now if you've been in prescott a while you you know about this right man we've had a good monsoon season this year right and i was driving down prescott lakes parkway the other day and looking at those little hills and valleys on the right side when you're heading to highway 89 I'm Like, man that looks like ireland or or scotland And with my parents about to come, I told the family, I don't know if they've ever seen Prescott like this. (laughs) Why? Because those of us who've been here a while know what's going to happen in a month or two months or three months. It's going to go brown again, right? He says that's what our our short lives are like. I had some reminders of the brevity of life this week. One of them was a two-for-one that came on my phone. I'll show you. Got that reminder on Tuesday. said, call Papa. Birthday today. He's the, the grandpa that we, we buried in Ohio earlier this year. It, it hit me kind of hard. I, I can't call him, but we were out back, and we said, hey, Papa, happy happy birthday. The picture there was also a reminder. That was taken at a wedding we were at a couple years ago, and I looked at the kids. I'm like, man, look how small they were. That seems like just... Yesterday, time is zipping by, and maybe maybe you know that in your life that sense. Well, let me put it in perspective a little more. I saw a post that kind of shook me up a little bit. It said the, the number of years between 2022 and 1970 is the same as the number of years between 1970 and 1918. Give some perspective. I'm going to show you a picture here of Mingus Mountain on a morning recently. That verse makes me, that picture makes me think of a verse James four fourteen. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For for you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, later that day, that, that cloud, that mist was gone. Then I raise it up higher, and and what we learned about God, he takes it to the next level. He's like, that mountain you think is pretty permanent? I was here even before that. (laughs) So it's it's a great perspective, right? But you say, all right, Moses, why you got to go so dark and so heavy on us? Well, I think about NFL football. What's going on right now is preseason football, right? And when a team goes out there in the preseason, does a team just go out there, just their own team, just the offense in and t-shirt and shorts, and, and they're the only ones on the field, and they run their plays, and like, yeah, we're pretty good. All these completions and all these running yards, every, every run is like 100 yards. No, what do they do? They put their, their pads on, and they face another team that's got pads on, and they play full-contact football. Why? Because they're preparing for the season. And I think what Moses is doing is helping us realize we cannot live our life here fully or properly until we recognize our mortality. Ecclesiastes 7.2, Solomon said it. He said, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Now, does that mean that Solomon was some kind of sadist that just loved going to funeral homes? No, but he realized it's at moments like that in our lives when we think about what really matters in the short time we're here and what really matters in eternity. I think about Moses' own life and the likely context for this psalm. I think about the book of Numbers read through that book this week. Bill, being a math professor, probably loves that book, huh? No, he he shook his head. He's honest. There's a lot of numbers in that book, and among them, there are two censuses, one at the beginning of the book, chapter 1, and one near the end, chapter 26. Numbers 1 tells us that they counted all the males 20 years old or more that could be fighting men, and they counted 603,550. So you factor in women, and you're talking well over a million people, right? Census 2, chapter 26, 38 years later. I want you to listen to what Numbers 26:64 says. It says, but among these, there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. What's that mean? Not one left from that first census. For the Lord had said of them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now now you all know this year through family and some in the church, I've I've been involved in a number of funerals. Nothing compared to Moses. You had the women in, and you're talking over one million deaths. On a conservative estimate. It's almost as though you you do this with those chapters and the the smell of death comes out of the pages. It's no wonder Moses was, was thinking about the brevity of life. He saw it hit many that he knew and loved. That leads us to the question, why death? Why death? Why this physical death? And that leads us to the next point, the the gravity of our sin. The gravity of our sin. Verses 7 through 11. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. our, Our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? That is a really good question for all of us here today in our world today. Who does consider that? The power of God's anger against sin. The power of his wrath according to the fear of him. Proverbs tells us the fear of God is what? The beginning of wisdom. You say, what sin for Israel? And many of us, our minds track to Numbers 13 and 14, right? They got to the edge of the promised land, and the spies went in and looked, and yeah, it's got a lot of fruit, but them people are huge. We we can't do this. And two stood there and said, God can do this. But the nation chose the report of the ten spies and rebelled against God. And the verdict came in. Okay, this generation will not see the promised land. You will wander in this desert, but your children will see the promised land. But if you read the book of Numbers, you will see that was but one moment in there. That's the pivotal one. But just like Numbers 10 through 21, you can see why death and God's wrath was on Moses' mind. Just, I won't call them highlights. I'll call them lowlights. It's tragic. Chapter 11, there was a place called Tibera, which means burning tells us that the Israelites complained about their misfortunes and God's wrath was kindled and and fire broke out among them. And I think about complaining. And I wonder, do we take that anywhere near as seriously as we should when we read Numbers? Because sometimes it seems like a way of life, right? But it comes up over and over. He's, He's complaining against God and His provision, Later on in the same chapter, a place called Kibroth Hatava. You know what that means? The graves of craving. That was when they decided this manna stuff you give us every morning, that ain't enough. We want meat. And God said, okay, I'll give you meat. And he brought quail just off the the ground. They could catch them. And it says while they were still between their teeth, a plague broke out. A plague broke out among them. Chapter 12, Hazeroth. You remember Miriam and Aaron rebelled against Moses. They were jealous of his leadership, and Miriam was struck with leprosy. Moses interceded for her healing. Did you see the wrath of God? Chapter 15, there was a Sabbath breaker gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Sabbath. The people gathered together and said, what should be done? He was executed for knowingly violating the declared will of God on the Sabbath. Chapter 16, the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Again, a jealousy of Moses and Aaron and their leadership. And God said, I'll show you who who I accept as leaders. You have 250 of your men get censors and come before the Lord. You remember what God did to those 250 men. Fire came down and consumed them. And he told the Israelites, you take those 250 censers and you hammer them on the altar so that the Israelites remember. You remember the leaders were sucked into the earth alive with their families because of their rebellion against God's plan. Chapter 20, Miriam died, and then later on you have Meribah. They complained about water. And God told Moses, speak to the rock, and he struck it. And then even Moses was told, you're not going to make it into the promised land. You are going to die outside the promised land. Chapter 21, you remember, they rebelled against God again, and he sent venomous serpents among them. And then he died, and and God told Moses to raise up a bronze serpent and that all who would look on it in faith would live. Chapters 22 through 24 struck me. Because in the middle of all this unfaithfulness and even the consequences of it, you know what we see? We see God's faithfulness to his people. You remember what happened there? Uh, A pagan king named... Balak was afraid of Israel, and he tried to hire a guy named Balaam to pronounce a curse on him. But God would not allow Balaam to curse his people. Over and over, he put a blessing for his people in the mouth of Balaam. God was faithful, even as they were unfaithful. And and to drive home the contrast even more, chapter 25, the Israelites began to worship Baal and have sexual relations with the women who did. Go to Numbers 33. We see Aaron himself, the high priest, passed away. Is it any wonder Moses had God's wrath against sin and the brevity of life on his mind? What we need to do today is, what does that mean for us? We need to go back and think prior to the sin of Adam into which we are all born and to consider the gravity of our own sin which leads us to the next point the necessity of perspective we should all adopt this prayer of Moses right here in verse 12 he says to God teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom You've all been around the block enough to know he's not just talking about counting them out, right? He's looking for wisdom in light of the fact that life is short and you have great wrath against our sin. How then should we live? Teach us wisdom. And I want to start with the wrath of God. I want to ask the question, where do I stand this morning in relationship to God? Now, I know there may be some here saying, Scott, I didn't come here to hear about God's wrath. Why are you speaking about God's wrath? It's because of what Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Ephesians 20. He said to them, I am guilty of the blood of no man because I have preached to you the whole counsel of God see, when I stand before God someday and he evaluates my ministry at the church next door, he's not going to ask, did you make them laugh? He's not going to ask, did you keep them comfortable? Did you, did you tickle their ears? He's going to ask, were you faithful to preach the whole counsel of my word? So wrath, where do I stand in relationship to God? There's only two options. We're either under his wrath or we're not. There is no fence on this one this morning. Do you listen to some New Testament truths, Hebrews nine twenty-seven: it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Revelation 6, we read the horrors of the, the tribulation and We read of men hiding in the mountains and crying out to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Matthew 25, we hear the words of Jesus as he pronounces judgment on two different groups. And he says, these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. This is why we look at the gravity of the sin of Israel. It points to our own need. 1 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul said, With most of them in the desert, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Anybody that tells you the Old Testament doesn't matter, take them to this passage. Think about Hebrews 3 and 4 where he talks about them hardening their hearts, not believing and so not entering the rest of God. And then he looks at the church and he says, don't do that today. Don't harden your heart against the message of Jesus Christ and miss entering into his rest Listen, I know sometimes if you don't know Jesus yet, you look at your life and maybe you say, hey, I see blessings in my life. I I see good things happening. I see blessings from God. I must be okay. Don't assume that. You know what he's doing? He's trying to woo you to his son, Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Romans 2, 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's why he's pouring blessings on the unbeliever, to woo them to himself. And this highlights the horrible nature of our sin, because one man said to rebel against a just God is one thing, But to rebel against a God who loves us so much, how can we grieve so good a God? Verse 5 goes on. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Is that anyone in here this morning? I want to show you another picture. This is my little 98 Tacoma. Carolyn took a picture because all five of us were in there on Thursday night, and it's not an extended cab. You say, why were you all crammed in the truck? Well, we went to, toward Lynx Lake first because we wanted to go kayaking, but we saw a dark cloud over there, so we said, let's drive to Watson. And we got to Watson, and the clouds came, and it started raining there as well. So we hunkered down in the truck and you can see in the background there's a trailer for the folks that rent kayaks there were a bunch of them in there and some of them were laughing at us waving at us because we we're all squeezed in there but while we were in that truck not only was was it raining we heard what i think was the loudest clap of thunder i've heard in my 46 years in my life and you know what we saw after that we saw 20 or 30 kayakers on the water, going like this towards the <laughs> ramp, <laughs> and it was so loud. We, I was looking to see if anybody was keeled over. I was concerned for those folks, and I don't want to judge them because they just wanted to kayak like we did. But I think some of them ignored the signs, and they went out on the water anyways. That's one thing when it comes to kayaking. It's tragic. When it comes to eternity. Do not ignore the signs all around you. Read prophecy. Jesus is coming soon. According to his own words. Am I under God's wrath? Or not? You say I am but I don't want to be. What do I do? John 3.14. As Moses lifted up the serpent. In the wilderness. So must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life that's what happened on the cross he took your sin and my sin and died for it it says though he's a shield of mercy and grace have you have you believed have you trusted have you relied on him for eternal life john 336 he says whoever believes in the son has eternal life And that's not just living forever. We all do that. It's life with God in relation with Him. Whoever believes in the Son has that. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Do you trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone? We need wisdom when it comes to the wrath of God. We also need wisdom when we think about the brevity of our lives. We don't think about this a lot when we're young, at least I didn't. Unless some tragedy hits your house, this this awareness doesn't come till till later. You, You start thinking about how short a time we're here. And I wanna show you how this wisdom can shape our lives in a few areas. Number one, how should I view relationships? I think about this one and and I think about a lady we know most of the time when I plan a funeral it's it's after the person has passed there's a lady we know who's been diagnosed with cancer her doctor told her she probably only has a few months and and I met with her and her whole family and she said her last meeting with her doctor he said you only have a A few months to live, likely. He said, if you've been eating healthy and you want a double cheeseburger, now's the time. You go get that double cheeseburger. And he said, bigger picture than that double cheeseburger, you think about what's important to you and don't hold back. You go do it. And you know what was on the top of her list? I got some family out in California I need to go reconnect with. I got some family out in Oklahoma I need to reconnect with. Relationships are huge in her mind right now. What if we live that way every day? You may not have a diagnosis from your doctor, but none of us knows how long we have. What does 1 John 4, 7 say? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. God, my life here is short. Who do I need to love on today? Who needs to know again that I love them? What about our relationship with those who don't know Jesus? Colossians 4, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. You know that person you know that doesn't know Jesus yet? You don't know how many conversations you have left with that person. How should I view time? There's an old poem that, that hit me. As improve time and time, while the time doth last, for all time is no time when the time is past. Another more modern rendition you might want to check out. Google it online. Dust if you must. Any of you read that? It's a good one. Improve time and time. We don't know when we're going to die. We know life is brief. There's something we do know. We alluded to it earlier. Revelation 22:20 20, He who testifies to these things says yes I am coming soon Amen come Lord Jesus And I think about something here Go with me on this there's a huge difference between the way people shop at Fry's on Sunday afternoon and the way people shop on Guy's grocery games have you ever watched that show? <laughs> you might spend an hour in, in fries on Sunday afternoon, right? But on guys' grocery games, they're, they're running up and down those aisles, getting the ingredients they need. They're sweating. They're getting back. Why? Because they know there's a shortness of time and purpose. They have a limited time, and they have to get a meal cooked for a contest. And that shortness of time and purpose changes everything. And I think that's some of what Moses is saying. Look, wake up. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, stay awake. And he's not saying don't sleep at night, don't take naps. He's saying keep your eyes open. Time is short. There is a shortness of time. You like that, Gene? Son's <laughs> left. laughing. There is a shortness of time and purpose. We've heard about the shortness of time. What about the purpose? Well, Yours is probably like mine if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not just being forgiven by grace and getting there someday. I want to run faithfully to the finish line and I want to stand in the presence of Jesus and hear that well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. There is shortness of time and purpose. How should I view finances? I think about Luke twelve man had a legal dispute with his brother comes to Jesus he thinks Jesus wants to settle that hey would you settle this <laughs> Jesus had no interest in settling that he said beware your covetousness because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions and he went on to tell a story of a man who his fields produced greatly and so much so that it wouldn't fit in his barn he said I'll, I'll tear him da- tear that one down and build a bigger one the end of it is potent. Luke twelve twenty says, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Then he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And is the point that saving in and of itself is wicked? Is that the point? No, I don't want to rile up any of the Dave Ramsey crowd this morning. <laughs> That's not the point. More importantly, that would contradict much of what we read in Proverbs, right? What, what was the problem? This man was covetous and he thought that's where life was. He overestimated the value of money and underestimated the importance of God. He overestimated how long he was going to be here and underestimated the brevity of life that that was the issue what about Matthew 6:19 do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven what about Matthew 6:25 this one could free a lot of us up today if we would just sink our teeth of faith into it do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. Your Father takes care of the birds. Are you not much more valuable than they? Here's another one. How can I have courage to remain faithful when life gets hard, when God calls me down a hard path? I want to think about Moses himself for a second. He was a prince of Egypt. You talk about a posh life he chose to be identified with the slaves and you know all the rigors he went through why? Well, I'd encourage you to read Hebrews 11:24 24 to 27 but there's a couple nuggets in there verse 26 he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward you want to stay faithful in that trial you're going through right now lift your eyes to the reward that's coming Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Not afraid of the anger of Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the world. Why? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Oh yeah, Pharaoh was powerful, but Moses had his eyes of faith locked on a God who raises up leaders and puts them down as he chooses. Next one applies, especially if you're going through a health issue. I know how they can weigh on you. I talked to a family going through some of those, and one of them said, can you imagine how absolutely depressing this life would be if you believed this is all there was? I said, you're right. I will be totally with you on that. But listen to the perspective of those who believe in the hope of heaven. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, We don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I would ask us today, where are the eyes of our hearts locked? On the things that are seen or the eternal things that are unseen? This is not all there is, believer in Jesus Christ. So hold on. Hold on. I want to close by talking about the possibility of satisfaction. Moses is going to talk about that, not just in heaven someday, but even in this life, even in this broken world with its brevity of life and all the trials that come. Listen to him. Verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have have pity on your servants. Now, God is with them. It's as though Moses is saying, we know we're facing the consequences of our sin, but please let us know your, your presence here. And surely he did. Even for those who die, there's an amazing verse in Deuteronomy that said, All through that wandering, their clothes and their sandals did not wear out. Now that is nothing short of a miracle. Any of you who have kids that go to school every year and you got to buy clothes? It's not just because they grow. They wear them hard and they haven't been walking through a desert for 38 years. God was with them even... In his discipline, verse 14, listen to this prayer. He says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. What did those Israelites do every morning except the Sabbath? They went out and got that manna that God provided according to his word. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. And he did. But what does Jesus say in John 6? He said, I'm the the true bread from heaven. We find lasting satisfaction, not in the things of this world, but in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. He's thinking about the next generation, right? Okay, our generation's not gonna see that promised land save for a few of us, but please show your power to our children as they go in and see you fulfill those promises. Final one, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands Ecclesiastes wrestles with life under the sun. How can our work possibly be meaningful? It can only be meaningful if God establishes it. And so we take our work, which is hopefully, believer, it should be his work, right? And he brings meaning and purpose to the work we do even in this short life. As I close, I just want to say this. It's where the eternal God enters into our brief lives. that He brings the purpose and meaning and life and satisfaction we long for. It's where they intersect, the eternity of God and the brevity of our lives. John 10.10, Jesus said, Thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Does any of you think that's only in heaven? It doesn't say that. It says that they may have life abundantly. Eternal life is a present gift as well as a future gift. And how does this play out? I want to tell you three things you can have in this world that maybe you didn't come in enjoying like you could, believer. First one is contentment. Do you know you could walk out of here completely content? First Timothy 6, 6. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Is that you? I know that's under assault right now, because all of our budgets have shrunk over the last months, right? We all feel that. I'll tell you, it hit me the other day. We were sitting at the table, and it should hit me every day, but I'll confess that it doesn't. Looked at that table of food, looked at the roof over our heads, looked at the clothes we all had on and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this meal we're about to enjoy. Thank you for this home. Thank you for these clothes you provided. We can be content. What a testimony that would be to the world around us. We can have joy. Think about Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven Is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. When you realize the value of the kingdom of heaven that you have, it puts everything else in perspective. And you have a great joy. Is that you? What about peace? John 14, 27, who needs peace? Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, man, how could I, a mortal, sinful human being, enjoy this kind of life and blessings from an eternal, faithful God? And the only answer is by faith. Reliance on him, not on yourself, not on any other man. Listen to how Jeremiah put it. Jeremiah seventeen five. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert. In a salt land where no one lives but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream it does not fear when heat comes its leaves are always green it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And you're saying, I want that, but I don't deserve it. Yeah, join the club. That's what grace is all about. That's why Habakkuk tells us the righteous shall live by faith. And I want to close with a story of a man who wrestled with this and found hope in God's grace. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was a monk. And the Pope at the time promised an indulgence, you know, maybe some time off of purgatory or something like that for anyone who would do this special feat. And the feat was there were these stairs in Rome and the Pope told everybody these stairs were transported here from Jerusalem in a miracle. They're Pilate's stairs, the very stairs that that Jesus went up. And the Pope said, any man who will will climb up these stairs on his knees will receive this indulgence. Martin Luther, the monk, set out to do that, stair by stair on his knees, begging for God's mercy and forgiveness, being tormented by the guilt he knew was his as a sinner. But as he climbed up there, he said the verse, the righteous shall live by faith, thundered in his soul. By faith, by faith, by faith. And here's what he wrote about that moment. He said, although I was a holy and blameless monk, at least in the eyes of the world, right? My conscience was nevertheless full of trouble and anguish. I could not endure those words, the righteousness of God. I had no love for that holy and just God who punishes sinners. I was filled with secret anger against him. I hated him because not content with frightening by the law and the miseries of life, he still further increased our tortures by the gospel. But when I learned how the justification of the sinner proceeds from the free mercy of our Lord through faith, then I felt born again like a new man. I entered into the very paradise of God. Henceforward also I saw the beloved In Holy Scripture with other eyes. As previously I had detested these words, the righteousness of God, I began from that hour to value and to love them. What happened? He realized the righteousness of God was not something to achieve, but a gift to receive through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you made that exchange? your sin for his righteousness? If you have, I want to leave you with a a closing question to the believers. If we truly believe in an eternal God who is faithful to all of his covenants and we believe in the brevity of this life and eternity in heaven, what is one thing this eternal faithful God would have me change? this week Lord thank you for this song I thank you that they are your words you inspired Moses to write them and he was uniquely qualified with all that he walked through I pray that any of us who came in here needing our perspective fixed would walk out Just praying that prayer that he prayed. Teach us to number our days. Give us a heart of wisdom. It's evident we can't get there on our own. We need your help. Understand the brevity of life. To find that lasting satisfaction comes only in you. And to live this life to the full while we hold dearly to the hope of heaven to come. Lead us as we go out from here and just how you'd have each of us to do that. If there are any here who came in under the condemnation that Martin Luther was feeling and would like to leave under the freedom of Jesus Christ, draw them to the cross, to the forgiveness and mercy found there in the blood of Jesus Christ, the power of new life that comes in his resurrection. Bring them home, Lord. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Help us to go out as folks learning your wisdom and numbering our days, using them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.